Welcome back to Out of the Question, brought to you by that extremely cool newsletter, The Kicker, where I write about personal stuff mixed in with some film and TV industry stuff. That's thekicker.substack.com. This week's guest is the comedian Nikki Britton. Apart from her live work, you might have seen Nikki on Have You Been Paying Attention, The Project, or How to Stay Married. She's returning to the Melbourne International Comedy Festival with her show Getting Out in Front of It from April 11. Get tickets at the festival website. We had some tech difficulties in this chat, which I hope aren't too obvious. I was stuck in a motel room in Castlemaine where I was filming a TV show, and Nikki was in her car after doing some sort of fitness thing. Also, I had food poisoning which probably didn't contribute to anything. As usual, I started by asking Nikki how her colleagues would describe her. Um, I guess, like, as a stand-up on other lineups with other colleagues in that sense of a workspace, I think um, they would probably describe me as annoyingly sunny. Sunny, yes, not annoyingly sunny. Well, you, I mean, there's plenty of comedians who really like to keep that miserable tone. So when I wash in like a big old... Uh, it's, it's, God, that sounds, um, self-congratulatory to call yourself a ray of sunshine, but I think in comparison to the darkness you find in the backstage area of a stand-up show, sometimes it can seem that way. I came from an acting background. I, I thought actors were miserable, but no, I mean, stand-up I know. is the worst. It's pretty crazy, isn't it? I think, I think like often a sense of otherness leads to the coping strategy of humor. And I guess... The commonality, often people are like, oh, are all comedians miserable or are all comedians really funny all the time? Or, And I, I've never been able to find a common trait in stand-ups other than extreme sensitivity. I think they're really sensitive. And for the most part, at some point in their life, they've, they've been bullied or had a sense of otherness or there's been dysfunction in a family or something. Everyone's got a little bit of trauma. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and quite sensitive because of that. I love stand-ups. I think we're all a bunch of, you know, misfits just doing our best. Yes. I mean, did you come from an acting background and then go into stand-up? I mean, what was the process for you? So I went to acting school, thought I was going to be, you know, a really change the world with some Chekhovian theatre. <laughs> and, you know, was always... So heartbroken when they would not cast me in the most dramatic role in a play and they'd say, oh, no, you could be the comic relief. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I just kind of kept getting cast in comedy roles and I always kind of made my own work. I was kind of devising theatre and working with different playwrights and we'd sort of do workshops and and make and create stuff, which all sounds, again, very wanky. Um but the idea of kind of writing and putting a show together wasn't completely foreign to me. And I've always just told stories. So at a friend's barbecue once, um, another friend said, hey, you should, you should do stand-up while I was telling a story. And I was like, absolutely not. And I'd never been to a stand-up comedy show, even though I had an Ellen DeGeneres tape, like a cassette tape of one of her shows when I was young. Um, and, you know, my family enjoyed watching Robin Williams and Billy Connolly, but but never kind of deep, you know, deep obsession with stand-up comedy. And the first gig I did was the first gig I saw. It was the first comedy club oh I, I had ever walked into. Wow. Um, my friend had signed me up for this open mic competition and I just kind of went, well, you only live once. We'll see what this, what happens here. Oh. And, um... 
I just, I mean, I did, I had no idea what I was doing, but I just kind of got lucky in the timing that they were looking for more women at the time. There was a big push for, to get, uh, you know, gender parity on stages. And I'm sure that had a lot to do with it because I was an undercooked, undercooked little act in the beginning. But, um, yeah, luckily one thing led to another and here we are. And how long did, when did you start to realize, I mean, how many gigs in did you start to realize you're making progress? I think I, I, it was so foreign to me that I did my first gig and then I, I got through to the next round of this open mic competition. And then they, uh, they said, do exactly the same set. Like don't change your set too much for the second round. And I said, oh yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Okay. Sure. And this is me absolutely not even realizing that comedians write a set, craft a set, and then, you know, develop that over years. I thought I was getting up and I was saying some funny shit for five minutes, a new funny shit for five minutes every time I did a gig. And so the first run that I ever did at the comedy store in Sydney, I did one set on the Thursday that went well. And then I did a brand new set on Friday night. Oh, wow. And I didn't said, whoa, why did you? And I was like, well, I, I did one set last night, so I'm going to do a different set. And he was like, no, you're working too hard. Yeah. And we know what happens. Um, so it, I think it was when I actually understood the craft of stand-up, that helped to feel like I was getting somewhere with it. But then um, I'd sort of been doing stand-up for a year and there was a different open mic competition and I ended up winning that, which was so nice. And that, Great. yeah, that felt like, Okay. All right. Maybe there's something to this. I and also went to clown school in between though. Oh, really? I did. Where? Not, not in France. Yes. With Philippe Gaulier. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm one of them. I went before it was a, a punchline though. <laughs> it's not a punchline. <laughs> That's amazing um, though. It was, it was really, really interesting. Like, you know, I certainly don't, um, you know, I don't have a squirting flower or big floppy shoes or anything when I come out and do stand up, but there's a foundational aspect of funny and kind of, mm. um, he talks about the idea of sitting in the shit and, and I think, you know, seeing failure as a gift is a really big part of, um, the way that I approach stand up and, or, or, you know, anything really. And I think, yeah, that kind of failure and like, I mean, on stage, when you say something that bombs or, you know, the audience is, isn't going with you in a setup or an idea, or they, you know, you say something that gets them offside, that can be such a gift. So I think, um, yeah, the biggest thing I got out of clown school was making failure a success. Was it clown school that actually helped you work out who you were on stage? I think it definitely had something to do with it. I mean, it's that thing, you know, it's, like I said, I was, I'm, I love theatre and I love acting and I love all of that. But now having done what I've done in stand-up, the idea of having a fourth wall that can't be broken is a little cursed. Yeah, yeah. Like it feels so, yes. there's, there's like, there's a facade or a inauthenticity kind of built into the whole concept. Mm. Um, but I, I still, I still adore it and I still think that it needs to be there and it's just a different art form and a different it delivered in a different way. But I do think that I was using that fourth wall to hide behind. Mm -hmm. And even still, like I really enjoy doing character work in stand up. And that's, and it's, that, you know, it's kind of 
still a bit of a, a mask that you can put on. Um, whereas in stand-up, it's introspection, 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 and you better get around what you are and, and what you think yes. real quick. Um, and that, that, you know, I think that's a part of yourself that you can exhaust a little bit as well, um, which I think is kind of where I'm at. Question two. Nikki, what's the most unhelpful feedback you've received? Do you know what? I actually did a film audition and the director, whose name I can't remember and whose name I haven't come across again, which this might be sort of why, suggested that I get Botox because my very busy face um, seems inauthentic. And I'd be a much better actor if I could quiet my face. Oh my God. And and, I mean, you know, as a young actor, you absolutely take that on. I never got Botox, as you can probably tell from old rubber face Britain. But that was some bad advice I didn't act on. But I mean, gosh. Male director? Male director. (laughs) And you haven't seen or heard of him since? Haven't seen or heard, no. It was one of these sort of... I mean, it wasn't as bad as a student film. When, when I graduated acting school, you know, you would audition for anything. You'd do a student film. And they were always about a woman discovering her sexuality. They were all <laughs> 40. It's like, what's, well, what's the actual story here? Oh, it's a, it's a young woman who gets curious about kissing her best friend. And I was like, again? Yeah. The best friend was often a girl as well. And there was like a pillow fight scene. I was like, is this, are you just, That's this so is just your fantasy, isn't it? So I don't, he wasn't a student director. He was a step up from that. But I remember that it was a pretty low budget situation. Uh, but I like to think that somewhere now he's, you know, he's turned around. He's seen the air of his ways. He's, he's probably in the corporate world somewhere doing sexual harassment seminars, you know, just helping everyone get along. Question three. Question three is what is the failure you most cherish? Oh man, um, cherish. I mean, like, like I said, clown school taught me to kind of, to cherish failure a bit. Um, so I feel like there's a lot of them. I feel, I feel daily that I'm cherishing failure. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I guess there's been, when you look back, when you look back, it's, you know, it's, it's the failures as well as the successes that led you on the path you're going to you're going to go down and never, like I said, never in a million years would I have thought that I was going to be a stand-up. And even though that wasn't a uh, result of a direct significant failure, it, it, there was certainly space for me to do it because nothing else was panning out. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, I, I string of failed auditions or um, failed opportunities definitely kind of led me on this path. I also think, um, I mean, I, I think I cherish them all, honestly. Yeah. That sounds, oh, that sounds. No, like but what's great about that answer is you, you, when you, when you said the stand up led you on this path, that, that, sorry, that, that not getting auditions led you on the path of stand up. Um, that I just love the idea of taking the power back and just like doing something that you can control. Yeah, absolutely. And that was, that was kind of what stand up gave me was this sense of autonomy. We're acting, as you know, you're, you know, kind of at the, waiting for the phone to ring or at the beck and call of if this project goes ahead, you'll have a job or, Mm. you know, waiting for that role to come up that suits you. Whereas, um, stand up, you really, you know, you can make some work 
and you can put it on a stage that night and see if it fails or see if it succeeds. And, and yeah, like really kind of, you've got a lot more control over yourself. Yeah. Yeah. See, I did read a tweet once from Sarah Silverman where she says that she, you, you know, you think of a joke in the morning and you've got to spring in your step all day because you're going to perform it that night. And you're so happy and, and, you know, you're nice to everybody and everything and you get on stage and then you do the joke and it bombs. Yeah. Oh man. It's so, it's like that. It's a bit like, um, you know, when you, when you, when you've got a new smooch, you know, like when you yeah. first got a date or you, you kiss someone and, or you slept with them for the first time and then you walk, walking around just being like, no, I don't. No, I don't. Secret. Oh, I loved it up real good. Um, and it does. Can, it can feel like that dangerously. Uh, it can feel like that. And I think, um, yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah. She's it's, a, she's a fickle lover is stand up. I think oh, I she can give you all the joy and then take it all away. Speaking of failures and failed auditions, I don't know if this was one that's like definitely set me on the path, but one of the failures when I graduated acting school and you're doing your like, you know, TV commercial auditions and stuff, I got a job for an insurance, it was an insurance company ad and, uh, great, brilliant paperwork's gone through the shoots in three days time, done tick. And, you know, as a young actor, you're like, oh my God, a TV commercial. It's like, since it was probably maybe five or $7,000, which is everything to yeah, you. Exactly. Um, and I mean, it still would be everything to me if I got one tomorrow. <laughs> But, um, at three days, two, I think it must've been two days before we shot that I got a phone call and they said, oh, sorry, we're not going to use you anymore. And I was like, has something happened? What happened? And they're like, oh no, we just, the CEO of the insurance company went back over the pitch and decided that we were going to go in a different direction. And I was like, oh, uh, okay. Is there anything, is there anything? And then I, I knew one of the casting agents and I called her as a pal and was like, mate, is that, and she said, your eye, your blue eyes were too close to the blue of the, um, logo. Oh. And they didn't want someone with blue eyes because the logo was blue and they felt like it was all too, I don't know. But a string of failures like that, where you see that it's not you, like the, the failure affects you, or I guess you can't even call it a failure, but whatever it is in a certain version of events, you've just got to put your hands up and go, okay, the universe is pushing me in a different direction. Question four. Question four. We just dropped out, ladies and gentlemen. We're back. Uh, which word or, which word or phrase do you most overuse? Uh, sorry, probably. Oh, really? I'm, yeah, I'm a big, I'm really trying not to, um, but I'm a big people pleaser and, uh, yeah, I feel like I'm a very, very big energy in a world that wants you to be a little bit smaller. And I never want to put anyone out. I never want to make anyone feel in any way bad, but I think sometimes I accidentally barrel through life a bit too boldly. And so I constantly find myself saying, oh, sorry, oh, sorry, oh, sorry, I, you know, stepped on your toes physically or emotionally or metaphorically. Um, I never, it's never with ill intention. I probably do say it too much though. People are always saying, Nikki, stop apologizing for God's sake. Wow. Have you thought of how you might kind of, how would you limit the apologies? 
it's a very, um, gosh, I don't want to gender anything, but it does feel like something that I hear from women mm. more than men, that they're struggling, that they apologize too much. And I think, you know, a beautiful thing men can do maybe is, is to make sp- a safe space where women uh, understand that there's nothing that they need to be sorry for. But, you know, also I, I can keep that in check. And I, I was speaking to an American friend the other day and he said it's a very Australian thing. Well, do you know what? They could say sorry a bit. A hundred percent. Yeah. Maybe we're making up for it. The final question. Nikki, the final question is, do you have a motto? My good friend uh, has a bit of a motto that I've adopted, which is why not have more fun than less? Um, and I nice. reckon that's a pretty good one to live by. Although, you know, you... <laughs> You, you catch yourself in a, in a spiral or a tantrum or whatever, and you're definitely not having more fun than less. But generally, as a rule, I think, uh, you know, if there's fun to be had, if there's pleasure or joy available, then why not grip onto that with both hands? Thank you for listening. Don't forget to sign up to The Kicker where you can see bonus video content on episodes as well as heaps of other journalism and opinion. That's thekicker.substack.com. See you next time.